you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, this morning we're going to look at the third of the seven churches that Jesus Christ sent a letter to, and he sent them with intended purposes. It is my prayer this morning that God would take this letter and that God would bless each and everybody in this place. It is my prayer that God would divide it, separate it, put it out as many ways as necessary. It is my prayer that God would move upon you and I, his people, his children, anybody a child of God? Anybody thankful that we're called sons of God? It is my prayer that God would speak to his children, move upon his children this morning. As we look at a letter, it's a letter that has some compliments and it has some rebukes. If it, if it has really a, a consolidated purpose this morning, to me this letter says beware, beware, beware of the sin of compromise. Revelation chapter 2, the church at Pergamos, beginning in verse number 12, to the angel of the church at Pergamos, write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So thou... Hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. God, I pray you take this, Father. Lord, I know this is a message that we've looked at. I know this is a church that we've looked at. I know this is a place that we've studied. And God, but I pray you'd take it today. I pray you'd make it fresh. I pray you'd make it new. I pray, God, you'd move upon our hearts. I pray, God, you speak to everybody in this place. Lord, I pray your anointing on everybody in here, God. I pray your touch on everybody in here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would sit down in the lap of everybody in this place and speak to them, God. May we have a little personal one-on-one -on -one time with you, God, that you might shape us and mold us and make us into what you'd have us to be, God. We love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for an opportunity to serve you, for an opportunity to come in and worship you, God. Help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we see here in this church at Pergamos that, that we can relate to in, in our world today is the sin of compromise. We don't call it sin in our world. While that would be totally ridiculous in 2019 to call it sin. And, and we don't want to call it compromise because that might sound like we're giving in on something and, and we're not standing our ground. So we've come up with a cute little name for it and we call it politically correct. Political correctness is nothing more than a compromise because what it is simply saying is that I'm not willing to stand on anything. I don't adhere to any absolutes. It, whatever you want to do, that's okay with me. You just do it your way. It doesn't matter if it's my way. You just do whatever you want. Political correctness says whatever is right in your eyes, then that's okay with me. You just do 
whatever you please. It does not call sin, sin. It does not call wrong, wrong, because it's afraid that it might offend someone who is living in a life of sin. So let's just let everybody go their own way, make up their own rules, and do their own things because there are no absolutes. I have news for you. There is an absolute. It is written and documented. God has already made the rules. They're not up to you and I to change. They're not up to you and I to forgive. They're not up to you and I to excuse. God has made the rules, and the rules will always be the rules. They are unchanging and forevermore. So are the blessings that come with them. Amen. Politically correct may become the position of a government, may even become the position of men, but it cannot become the position of the church. Sin is sin, and God calls it sin. And sin is separation from God. Before a person can be saved, they must first realize that they are lost and in need of a Savior. That's why compromise is so dangerous because it is not telling people you are living contrary to the law you are living a lifestyle that says you are on your way to hell you are living an abomination that God has already written you cannot live a lifestyle contrary to this book and be pleasing to God compromise is very dangerous because it says we'll just hold this written letter behind our back We'll just hold the law back where it's not so prevalent, and you just do whatever you please. That mentality is sending people to hell on our watch. We cannot give in to compromise. When a church begins to move to be politically correct, when a church begins to move its message and its songs in a way so as not to offend anybody, so as to be careful not to say anything that might hurt somebody's little feeling, when a church begins to move to be politically correct, they are moving in the opposite direction of God, and God can and will remove His hand from that church. God is looking for a church that will stand on His word, thus saith the Lord, whether you like it or not. The city at Pergamos is one of the truly great cities of Asia Minor in the day. As a matter of fact, it was the capital there in Asia. It was known for a variety of reasons. Number one, it was a great fashion center. And a lot of people came there for a lot of different reasons. But they also had a very religious culture. Religion being a very negative word. Religion gets a lot of people killed. Religion sends a lot of people to hell. Religion won't get you past the end of your big toe. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. You can have all the religion you want. You can call it religion and come to church if you want. But if you do not have a personal relationship with the one that died on that cross and shed his blood for you, then you have no salvation. It is all about Jesus Christ. So what we have here in Pergamos is a very wealthy city with this rich religious lifestyle. We looked at Ephesus and we looked at the church at Smyrna and we, we looked at how they were commercial centers and trade centers and people came in. But what we have here at Pergamos is a very broad culture. The problem with broad culture, and we have a lot of this in America, is culture brings in a lot of stuff. 
from a lot of places, and it brings it all together. And, and what comes with culture is compromise. You just go ahead and bring your culture in, and everything will be okay. It is giving in convictions, trying not to offend anyone. Well, our text here says in verse number 12, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, with two edges. Now remember when Jesus Christ addresses these churches. He uses names that was given to him from Revelation chapter 1. But he also uses a name that describes the situation that that church is going through. He, he, when he talks to the church at Ephesus, he says, There's some things that you've done really well. There's some things I'm proud of you for. Some things that you've stepped out and done good. Nevertheless, y'all remember the, the sermon recently? Avoiding nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. So he says, hey, if you don't get this area right about your love, I'm the one who holds the seven stars. I'm the one who walks among the candlesticks. And if you don't get these things right in your life, I'm going to remove the candlestick from you. That means I will remove my power from you. You may get together. You may have your little fellowship time. But you won't be gathered in my power and in my spirit. That was at the church at Ephesus. Each title has to do with something indicative of what they're facing. The church at Smyrna, that was a church that was going through great persecution. We've looked at that one and how Jesus only had good things to say to them and compliments to them and things they were doing well. But what we know is they were going through a, a time of persecution. He said, I am the first and the last. He said, I know many of you are even dying at the hands of martyrs. Some of you are being executed in my name's sake. He said, but I am the beginning and the end. So anytime he addresses them, it is with a certain title, with a certain purpose. He is driving home a point to each one. God never says anything just to be speaking. God never says anything just to be heard. If God says it, it has a very intended purpose. So here in the city of Pergamos, we have this cultural center. In there, the governor of the day would have had what is called the right of the sword. Jesus says, <clears throat> I am the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, the reason he would say that to Pergamos is because the governor of that city, being such a big city, being a capital city, the governor of that city was given what was called the right of the sword. That meant he could decide, you live, you die. You live, you die. You live, you die. You die, you die. Makes no difference. He's not a, a man you want to be on his bad side. He's not somebody, he didn't need a jury. He didn't need a trial. He didn't need any evidence. All he needed was a whim of an idea. And he could have somebody executed anytime he wanted to. That is called the right of the sword. So Jesus comes and says, I'm the one with the right of the sword. I'm the one with the power in this town. Not only do I have a sword that I can decide who lives and who dies in this life, but I have a two-edged sharp sword. I decide who lives and dies in this life, and I decide who lives eternally and who faces the second death. So he addresses the church here as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. He says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. He says, I know where you live, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and has not denied my faith. He says, you're holding on to my name. You're holding on. You're doing your best. You're holding your faith. I, I see that. 
I see you hold my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. <clears throat> the legacy of the city of Pergamos here revolves around three things. They had, number one, they had the largest library in all of Asia Minor. They had over 200,000 books. Doesn't sound like all that much for a huge library until you look at the fact what they have is over 200,000 handwritten parchments. So they're very well known for this library. They're also, as I told you, a very religious city. But in their religion, they have this great temple for the little G god of Zeus. They have a temple for the little G god of Athenas. And I've told you this before, but this city is built on like a cone-shaped hill that terraces out. And the different areas of the city are built on these terraces and built in different areas spread out. But up closer towards the top, above halfway up, at about the 800-foot mark, they had gone and, and cut into the mountain and built a temple to the god Athenas. And they came into this temple and they built this arena where they cut into the side of the mountain. It, it comes up as about 40 foot tall in the back. And because of the lay of the land, it comes down on the side. And in the middle of it there, they have built this altar to the god Zeus. And from an appearance to look at it, it looks like a giant chair. Which would give it the appearance of like a giant throne. Verse number 13 says, where Satan's seat is. So Jesus tells his church at Pergamos, hey, I know where you live. I know you live there at the place where there's this great wickedness, the place where Satan's seat is, but there's also a, a shrine there, a temple in this town, to a man named Asculathius. I know I've told you about this man before. I remember talking about him. Miss Sylvia's not in here right now, and it's really a good thing because she would probably have to get up and run because when you start talking about snakes, she's got to go. You can't even show her a picture of a snake. She will leave you. But this Asculathius had a temple, and they made a shrine to him. And legend was, if anybody would come and spend the night in this temple, then they would be healed. But there is a little clause to that. The temple was filled with non-poisonous snakes. And if you would come, if you were sick, and you would sleep in this thing overnight, if a snake would curl up next to you and sleep against you, or if a snake would crawl over your body, then you could be healed. Some of you said, I'd be healed. I'd die right then and there. I'd be healed permanently. That would be Miss Sylvia if she had to get in there. And so they, they, they begin to, to worship him, and, and they begin to call him Asculathius Corter. The word means Savior. As a matter of fact, the symbol, the emblem, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. He said it right there. <clears throat> I, I may just choke that right in front of everybody. It rained, washed the dust out, and I still got all in my throat, but it's going to be good. Thank you very much. Um, the, the symbol for this particular temple, which was the worship of sin, is a pole with snakes climbing up it with a head at the top. Anybody know what that is? Anybody ever looked in your doctor's office? Anybody ever looked at the medical field? They still carry that emblem over that they use here. So what we find is they're not only worshiping false gods, but they're worshiping this man, and now they're even worshiping medicine itself. Now, Pergamos is also 
an administrative center. So the worship of Caesar would have been very prevalent there in the day that everybody would have been forced to worship Caesar. So Jesus starts out by telling them, look, I know where you live. I know what you're living in. You remember last Sunday I mentioned, I talked about it a couple of Wednesday nights before, where Paul said we are to be ambassadors for Christ. I told you last Sunday an ambassador is simply someone living in a distant country representing your country while in another country. And Paul says that you and I are to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. Jesus says, I know where you're having to live. I know what you're going through on a daily basis. I know the struggles that you face in life. I know about your situations. I know about the things you're having to put up with. I know what you're up against. I know the battles, but I still expect you to be faithful. I I know where you live. Now, I don't know if this is the figurative throne of Satan or if this is the real throne of Satan. I don't know. I don't know where he's at, nor do I care to know where he's at. I just want to know that he ain't right here. That's all I want to know, that he don't show up in my house. He's not God. He's not a God. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at all times. He is a created being by God. Therefore, that means he has to take up a literal space. He has to be somewhere, and we do not know where that somewhere is. I don't know if this was his real seat, if that's where he sat, or if it's just a phrase. The only thing I know about him is that after all this down here goes on, and after this over here, as a matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and give you a free little tidbit. In between the end of that seven year and then what we show as a great white throne of judgment, you got a thousand years that's got to happen right there. We're covering a lot more than seven years because the Bible tells me for sure that he will be bound and will be cast into the bottomless pit. For a thousand years. So I know where he'll be for a thousand years. After that, the Bible says that he'll be loosed for a season, kind of like now. We have no idea where he'll be again then. But then after that, Revelation 20.10 says that he will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And there he shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. I know where he'll be then. But for right now, all I know is he's not in hell yet. He and his Pathetic little demons are out there trying to wreck your life and mine. Out there stirring up all the havoc that he can. So what we do see in this letter is, I don't know if it is the the real seat or the figurative seat, but what Jesus says is this is a place of concentrated evil. This is a group of people with many false gods, much culture. People have come in from all different countries and all different areas. And with them, they brought their little G-gods and they brought their false religions and they brought their false beliefs, and they brought all their stuff in. And here's your problem. You have begun to compromise the real God and say, if you want to worship your God over here, that's okay because of where you came from. No, it's not. Don't ever think that Jesus does not understand where you live. Don't think that Jesus does not understand your circumstances. Sometimes we live in situations that are... Less than desirable. Sometimes you may be living in a place where your neighbors are less than desirable. The community that you're in may be less than desirable. The place where you work, you may have some people around you that um, are less than desirable. We'll just kind of stick with that so that we don't kind of 
get all bent out of shape. We get on the job and there's people there. You go to school and there's people there, people that are less than desirable, but that is the whole principle of the Christian walk, that, that we might be Christians among them, that they might see Christ in us. Jesus even gives us an example here in this text. In those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, all we know for a fact about Antipas is what Jesus tells us right here, but we do have the legend of what happened to him. Legend is that he was a faithful Christian. He was a faithful servant. That means he was a faithful servant on the job site. He was a faithful servant at the grocery store. He was a faithful Christian at a restaurant. He was a faithful Christian at a ball game. He was a faithful Christian on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There was never a time that he let down his witness. There was never a time that he let down his faith. This is a faithful Christian. And when they came and said, if you're going to live in this town, you're going to have to worship Caesar. He said, ain't happening. My God said, thou shalt have no other God beside me. Thou shalt put no other gods before me. You'll not have anything to do with any other God. My God said he's worthy of praise. I know what he's done in my life, and he's worthy of my praise. I'm not bowing down to no man, Caesar, or anybody else. I'm not getting on my face before anybody else. I'm not worshiping any of your little G-gods just because you brought it from overseas. I'm not doing anything except worshiping God and God alone. And they said, well, if you won't worship Caesar, here's what we'll do. They had this giant brass bull, and this brass bull would open up, kind of like how we have a grill. It opened up, and it had grates inside where they built the fire, and they would put all the meats inside this giant brass bull close it up and build the fire, and they would roast the meats inside there that they were going to offer to all of their little G-gods. And they said, if you won't worship Caesar, we'll put you inside. And, they, and legend says that they put him inside that brass bowl. They lit the fire, and they roasted him alive. Here's what I know. I don't know what happened to him. All I know is that Jesus took time to talk about him. All I know is that he was such a man of God, walking in line with God, living the Christian life, that Jesus took time to write his name down in this final letter of revelation that he wrote and gave to all the churches in this third church. He said, I'm going to mention him because he was a faithful servant. You know what's amazing to me that he would be called a faithful servant by Jesus Christ himself? Is that is the name that is ascribed to Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5? Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. As a matter of fact, in the letter to the church at Laodiceans in verse number 14, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness. So to me, by Jesus Christ saying to Antipas, he's saying that, that you and I can be Christ-like. You and I can be like him. He's saying if you hold on to your witness, if you will not compromise, if you will not give in, and you will stand firm on the foundation of my word, you can be like me. That's what I see. But he says, at the same time, I expect you to remain accountable. I understand the wickedness of the society around you. But don't give in on your convictions. Don't give in at work. Don't, don't, don't give in at school. Don't, don't worry about popularity. We, we may look at that one day at the church of Thyatira, the pursuit of popularity. Don't, 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 don't give in to, to trying to be popular. 
Don't, don't, don't try to be like the world. I, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know the pressures that you're under. I know when people laugh at you. I know people are talking about you behind your back. I know people want to tear you down. I know people would love just to see you fall. I know that you've been passed over at work for that promotion, the one that you worked your backside off for, the one that you deserved. I know it, and you know it, and the reason you didn't get it is because of your faithful witness as a child of God. That's the reason you were looked over. I know all those things. I know what it's like, the pressures that you're living under for being a Christian. I know that people around you simply want to see you fall. But, but I know where you live, but I expect you to live there for me. I know your situation, but I don't expect you to compromise. I know the struggles that you face, but I'm stronger than your struggles. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I know where you live. I know where you live. But I expect you to be a witness for me. Verse number 13, he says, Thou holdest fast my name. He says, You've prayed in my name. You've held on to my name. You've stood strong in my name in spite of the storms, in spite of the things. You, you stood there. Not only are you doing a good job here holding on to my name, he says, but, but your doctrines are sound. Look, he says, and has not denied my faith. He says, you've held on to some fundamental beliefs that are absolutely necessary that you have to have. He said, you've held on to things like the virgin birth. You believe in the sinless, perfect life. Of the Lamb of God. You believe in the atoning death. Anybody believe in it? You believe in the cleansing blood of the Lamb of God. Anybody believe in it? He said you've held on to some fundamental beliefs. The cleansing blood. You, you believe in the physical resurrection. Anybody excited about that one? Mm, Lord help us. These are fundamental facts of the faith. So Jesus says. In these areas. You've done a good job. Holding on to these things, but nevertheless, you've done a good job in some areas. You've done a good job trying to stand on the word. You, you've done a good job, but there's a problem. And the problem is the sin of compromise. He says, you have those there with the doctrine of Balaam. And then you have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So, so you have a problem here. You're allowing sin to come in. Anybody paying attention? I'm almost done. He says you're allowing sin to creep in unawares. You're allowing things in your home. You're letting things come in through the television set that should not be allowed in a Christian's house. You're letting things be played on the radio in your car that should not fall into the ears of a child of God. You're compromising in some areas. You're letting some things in. You're, you're letting some problems arise. You're strong here and you're strong here, but there's some compromise happening. And it refers to Balaam. See, the problem with Balaam is that Balaam was a prophet of God. And Balak, king of Moab, he says, man, you know what? These children of Israel are coming my way. They're going to take over my land. I'm going to have to do something about these children of Israel. I'm going to send a message over to Balaam. And I'm going to ask Balaam to come over here and curse these people so that they don't get my land. So here's what he says to Balaam. He says, hey, you come over here. You curse the nation of Israel. You curse these people so they can have my land. And I'm going to make you a very wealthy man. You're going to live in the biggest house. 
with the best pool, with all the good surround. I am going to pay you way more than you're worth. If you'll just come over here and do this one thing, all I'm asking you to do is pray, right? All I'm asking you to do is pray. You just come over here and pray that God would curse these people and you're going to be very well taken care of. So Balaam says, God, you hear that? I'm going to go on over yonder if you don't mind. I'm going to pray and I'm going to need you to curse them people because you heard what happened. God said, you can't do that. It's my people. You, you can't go over there and, and pray for me to curse my people. I'm going to take care of my people. He says, God, do you not hear what I said? <laughs> do you not see how much money this man's going to pay me? Do you not see how much tithe I'll be able to put in the church if he pays me that much? Well, if I could just win the lot, oh, I ain't got time to preach that. <coughs> can, can you not see God? I, I got to go. And, and God says, no, no. As a matter of fact, if you pray for me to curse those people, I'm going to bless them because that is my people. Balaam says, I'm going anyway. So he gets on his little donkey, and I don't have time to expound on the story, but God puts an angel before him, and the angel was going to kill him. But the donkey saw it and turned to it and goes, so he starts beating on the donkey, and he goes another way, and the angel's there again. He's beating on the donkey, and so God opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey says, why are you beating on me? Have I not served you faithfully all these years? And then God opened the eyes of Balaam and let him see the angel with the sword, realizing that God would have killed him. But he goes on anyway. So when he gets there, he's telling the story, and Balak says, I don't know what this is all about. You just want some more money. Look, you just get these people cursed. There's more than enough money to take care of you. It'll all be fine. So he begins to pray to God to curse his people, to curse the children of Israel. And every time he prayed, for God to curse them, God blessed them. Balak, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? I paid you to curse these people. I paid all this money. I put you up in the house. I took care of you. You're driving a Rolls Royce and wearing Rolexes. And I'm taking care of you. And, and here you are blessing these people. What are you doing? And he says, I have a plan. Anybody listening? Anybody listening? It's, we're talking about God's children. Now, I want you to pay attention. We're talking about the Old Testament nation of Israel. We're talking about God's children, of which we are. He says, I have a plan. Balak, here's what you do. You take some of your Moabite women, you know, the ones that look a little fine. And you take your Moabite women, and you send them over here, and you let them get friendly with these men of Israel. You know, not just any Moabite women. You take the ones that are a little excessively friendly. Is that a good way to say that? And you take these excessively friendly, finely attractive Moabite women, and you let them start mingling among God's people. And what will happen is it may start with one, but it will start. One of them will begin to mingle with the Moabite women. One of them will begin to commit affairs that are against the laws of God. Once they begin mingling with these women, then what you're going to find out is it won't be long before they'll begin dining with them, which means they will be eating meats that was sacrificed to false gods. 
And if you leave them alone just long enough, you'll find out that they hang out with these women. They will begin to worship these false gods. What Balaam knew was that God cannot and will not overlook sin. And he knew that if he could get sin in the camp, if he could get compromise among the children, if he could get men to look outside the laws of God and compromise those things, God would have to deal with them and God would bring judgment upon them. See, Balak didn't care how he got rid of them. He just wanted to get rid of them. The church today is in this position of trying to please everybody. Work with me. We see the church trying to look like the world. Well, you know, if we look like the world, then that's how we'll attract them in. Put bars out in the foyer. Serve drinks. Do worldly things. Do, do whatever it takes just to bring them in. Let, let's just let everybody do what they please. Let's don't call sin, sin, because that might offend somebody. Let's don't call abortion murder. Let's don't call adultery sin. Let's don't call homosexuality an abomination. Let's don't call lying and stealing and, chilling and stealing things against God. Let, let's don't call what God calls sin because somebody might be offended and they might not come to our little church. If that's all you've got in your church, you can keep it because the power of God cannot and will not be in a church that is condoning the sins of the world and not preaching the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ. We have a church today that is filled with compromise. Let's just see how close to the world can we get. Jesus said to this church at Pergamos, you've done some things well, but you've compromised your convictions. The United States of America is a country. It doesn't matter to me if you like this or not. This is a country built and founded on that book. No other book. No other thought. No other way. No other statement. You read the stories of the men. You read about their lives. You'll find out they left where they were to come to a place of freedom where they could worship sovereign, holy, righteous God without limitation. They came here and they made a place where people were free to worship God and God alone. They did not make it for Zeus. They did not make it for Athena. They did not make it for, who's that little short fat dude? Who? Buddha. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't make it for none of that. This was founded for God and God alone. We begin to allow stuff to creep in. This is a nation founded by God, built by God, built for God. We have begun to compromise and beginning in the church, we have begun to compromise and I can tell you we are in trouble. And the reason we are in trouble is because we have compromised our convictions. You and I, as children of God, cannot sin and get away with it. There are consequences for sin. Whatever reigns in your heart, that's what will show in your life. That's why I say how we act dictates what we believe. Whatever reigns in your heart will show in your life. If you're a fruit tree, you're going to bear fruit. 
And whatever fruit you produce is evidence of where your roots are stuck in the ground at. Whatever fruit's coming out of you is evidence of which root you're hanging on to. If we have become so politically correct so as not to offend anyone, where's our testimony? The Bible says that we are to come out from among them and be ye separate. Matter of fact, the, the word used in, in here to describe Christians in the Bible is hagios. And, and it means to be separate. It means to be different. And the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, don't it? That's what emerge is all about. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We need to be separate. We need to be different. We need a holy testimony. You can't just not compromise what goes on in the house of God on Sunday. You can't compromise what goes on in your workplace on Monday. You can't just compromise the house of God on Wednesday night. You can't compromise what you do on Friday night. You and I cannot compromise our lifestyle. When we walk into a place, anybody listening? When <clears throat> we walk into a place, we ought to change the atmosphere in the place. If we are walking with God, walking with the Spirit of God, walking in the power of God, people know our testimony. We cannot and will not compromise. When you walk into a room where dirty language is going on, it will begin to dry up. When you walk into a place where dirty jokes are being told, it'll begin to stop. People will begin to nudge one another. Jason was talking about that. Hey, preachers here. Y'all be quiet. Preachers here. You know what that tells me? You knew you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. Everybody knows it's wrong. They just in there doing it. When you and I, as children of God, walk into a room, if we do not change the room, then we have compromised our conviction. We've let them think that it's okay with us. Just talk that way if you want to. It's not okay. It's an abomination before God. My ears don't want to hear it, and my God's ears sure don't want to hear it. We ought to be a difference maker when we come in. Jesus says to Pergamos, you've been willing to compromise to be politically correct so as not to offend anyone. Wednesday night, I read this passage from Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus said, think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. So this, this was for Wednesday night, but it has a lot to do with this compromise. So those of you on Wednesday night, you get to hear it again. What Jesus says is, I have drawn a line in the sand. And you're going to decide which side of that line you're on. Here's the problem with too many people sitting in church houses on Sunday. You think you can walk through this world one foot in and one foot out. You think you can walk on this side of the line on Sunday and this side of the line on Monday. You think you can straddle the fence. You think you can get off here dabbling with God's children but stay close enough to the fence to hold on so on Friday night you can jump back over here in the world on this side of the line but hold on to the fence so you can get back on Sunday. You think you can walk one foot in and one foot out, but I'm here to tell you now. Jesus Christ said you're either walking all on my side or you're walking all on the other side. You cannot and will not compromise in my house. Amen. You're going to be a people of integrity if you're going to serve me. He said, you've done a lot of things right. You've done a lot of things good. Are you ready, Faith Baptist Church? But if you want me 
to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there not be room enough to receive it. If you want your services to be filled with my spirit, if you want this to be a place that you can come to where sicknesses can be healed, you want this a place where mended marriage or marriages can be mended, you want this to be a place where troubled homes can be fixed, you want this to be a place where you can come in here broken and the potter can put you back together, you want this to be a place where the power of God falls, you want this to be a place where the Holy Spirit reigns, you want this to be a place that people walk into and feel a difference. You want this to be a place when you come in with a broken heart that God can hold it in his hand and you can walk out better. You want this to be a place of my power. You want this to be a place of my people. You're going to have to get both feet on my side of the line and not be willing to compromise with the world. I want us to be that kind of church. I want it to be the kind of church that I can come to for help, hope, and restoration. I want it to be the kind of people that I can come to that I know when you guys pray for me, there's power in your prayer. There's power in it. There's power that can send hurricanes out here at 8 o'clock on a Friday night. There's power that souls can get saved on this campus. I want us to be that kind of church. It goes back to three or four weeks ago. I don't want the nevertheless. I want to be the church that God says, I can bless you because of where you are. And if you live here without compromise, I will. I'm pretty sure I know the answer. But if that's the kind of church you really want to be a part of, let, let, no, wait a minute, let, let me change that. Because the truth is, it's really in us. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And we are the church. So if we compromise in here, then we compromise the church. So it's really not as much as what I want this church to be. It's what I want me to be. I don't want any, I don't want anything in my life that's not godly. I don't want anything in here that's not holy. I don't want anything in here that's not pure. I don't want anything in here that's not righteous. I don't want anything in here that God has to turn his eyes away from. I don't want anything in here that God can't look down on and smile. I don't want any compromise in me. I want to stand right here with both feet every step I take every day. How many of us in here want that? All in. I believe it come. In the power of prayer, none of us are strong enough to do it on our own. But we can do it through prayerful convictions. I want to ask if you'd stand where you're at. I want to ask you, if you would, as many as will, let's take some time at this altar and ask God, help us to be that church. Help us to be the one that is without compromise. But here's where it has to start. It has to start in me. God, I'm asking you to help me to be pleasing to you in every area of my life. And as you pray for yourself, I want to ask you to pray for those around you. Listen, this church is no different than, than a family. In your family, if God can't get to you, he will get to the next weakest link he can find. You paying attention? If God cannot get to you to destroy your home, He will get to anybody in that family that He can to destroy your home. He is looking for the weakest link in the family 
to destroy it. The same thing is true in the church. You may be spiritually strong. You may have a daily walk with the Lord. You may be reading every day, praying every day, walking with God every day. But everybody in this church is not equally as strong. Everybody doesn't have the same convictions, the same dedication. Everybody doesn't have the same walk. The devil will do whatever he can to destroy this church. And he's looking for the weakest link in it. He needs the weakest link he can get, the closest to the top that he can get, because he knows what damage it does when you get the ones that are involved in the church. So don't just pray for yourself. Pray for this church and pray for the weak links. I don't know who they are, but God does. Pray for the one that doesn't have a strong daily walk, that God would put a hedge of protection about them and give them power and strength to overcome so that the devil doesn't get a foothold in God's church. they're praying is there anybody here this morning you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior you've seen the rejoicing you've heard us talk about 22 that were saved Friday and over 100 saved in the schools in the past three weeks and more than 1300 saved in judgment journey you say I'm the one I've never been saved I've never trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior for that reason alone, I'm not going to go to heaven when I die. But I want to change all that. You can change all that today. But you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You must confess your sins with your own mouth. Are you willing to say, Lord, I am a sinner? Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul. In Jesus' name. It's not a written down prayer. It's not written down in here. It's just what it takes. You must confess your sins, and you must trust Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your sins, and God the Father save your soul through the blood of the, through the blood of the Son. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to save me today. To be honest, it's not about the prayer. You've already done it in your heart, and you know it. You sat there before I said anything, knowing you need to be saved. If I could have hands bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, I'm going to give you an opportunity right here. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you. Nobody's looking, just me. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. You say, I trusted Christ today. Five people prayed this morning at Detox already before we even got out of Sunday school. Do you want to be one more? Say, I prayed today. I've asked Jesus to save my soul. You hold your hand up really high. Everybody standing. It'll take me a minute to look around. Hold your hand up really high and hold it up for just a minute. Let me look around. 